Okay. Well, guys, we're glad you're here this morning. This is the last week uh, that we're doing Simplify, uh, a series that we've done for five weeks. And uh, there's some things that we've gone over, if, it, you know, if you've noticed and actually read some of the, the, the little preview there. Uh, we live in a culture where we run into this all the time. People feel stressed and overwhelmed and overworked and overscheduled and all those things. And, and uh, we want to see what God's word has to say about living that way. Um, are we following what Jesus has taught us about the life that he wants to bring us? Because the description that he gives us in places like John 10.10, 10, where he says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you to the full or to give it to you abundantly, uh, doesn't look like the life that I think so many of us are, feel trapped into. And so what we tried to do in the last four weeks is really share with you some practical things that, that are straight out of God's word of how we can live uh, a life that that's, doesn't look like that. Now, now here's my, the thing that really makes me sad as a pastor is that we look at all these beautiful truths, and first I have to start with myself and go, do these affect my life? Do I actually make any changes based on what God has said is better or true or his purpose and plan for my life. And so as we do a quick review of the things we've looked at, that's what I want to emphasize. If you've been with us, have you made any significant changes? Or, or are you excited that you've just been encouraged and refreshed about the truth that you're already living in? That could be great too. So uh, week one, we looked at hearing from God. That, that, you know, how do you get there from simplifying your life? Well, it kind of reminds me anytime I go to Ikea and buy furniture, you know, and, and I always think I'm wired that way. I got this. Yeah, it came with some little book. I don't need that, that, that right? I put enough Ikea furniture things together. I, I get it. I get their system. That's really dumb, Right. That's really dumb to try to put together something that's really complicated like that and think, I got it, I'm going to figure it out on my own. And, and, and you want to talk about stress. You want to talk about something that really just eats away at you. It's trying to live life without getting direction from God, without uh, his clear understanding, the all-knowing, all-loving God who created you and has a plan and a purpose for your life, so many of us are like, well, I don't need to hear from God. And we hear from God through his word. He has revealed, he has uh, miraculously, supernaturally preserved his revelation in what we call the Bible. But he also speaks to us uh, through his Holy Spirit. And, and a lot of that, I think, getting really clear, specific direction is what Jesus did. We look at Jesus's model he, he spent his life, uh, as you look at his pattern, spending significant portions of his life in, in communion with God, the Father, in, in deep prayer, in solitude, getting away from the distractions of life, and we're easily distracted today. So I hope, as we looked at that uh, in the second week, I think it really was, that, um, that that's something that you considered. It, ha it, it was for me. Uh, there, there has been a uh, more of an attempt in my life to actually get away from distractions and spend more significant time hearing from God so that I know the direction God wants me to go. Um, the second thing we looked at was money, everybody's favorite thing, but we have to recognize that that 
is, is one of the greatest stressors in our life, right? What do we do with money? How do we handle money? And God's word speaks a crazy amount on this subject. It's overwhelming. I shared with you that, that anytime I, I do a, a sermon on, on money, it's like, where do you start? Because there's so many passages, so many teaching, teachings on it. From Jesus alone, he taught more on money than, than heaven and hell and love. Um, it was something that he knew was a huge issue in our life. And when we look at this, this deal with money, did you just go, oh, well, that's interesting, or did you say, no, I need to realize that everything I have, all my possessions, if I'm a Christ follower, I have surrendered my life. Jesus is Lord, so he's Lord of my bank account. He's Lord of, of all the possessions I have. It's all his, and he just allows me to manage it. Talk about like putting, taking a weight off your shoulders, right? Like, hey, it's just his. Why am I so worried about that? And he promises to take care of my needs, and so we, there's all these principles. I can't re-preach that sermon this morning. Um, but, but understanding that it's all God's. And then I think a huge thing is coming to a place of contentment, especially in a culture that is screaming at us. Don't be content with what you have. Buy more. Get more. Have more experiences. Then maybe you'll discover some joy in your life. Get more. Oh, that, and it's this endless rabbit hole, right? We know that. We get the new car. We live in the nicer neighborhood. We buy the nicer clothes. We go on the, the better vacation. And we're, you know, not that those can't give us some temporary sense of satisfaction and enjoyment. And, and God's word says, hey, we can enjoy those things that God blesses us with. But this ultimate sense of that's what life's about, that's the trap that so many people fall into when it comes to money. So if we handle it his way, and then the last thing with money is being generous. What an incredible gift it is for, for, that God has called us to be generous. It's one of the greatest blessings that you'll have in your life. Number uh, Week three, we, it was Super Bowl Sunday. And the emphasis we wanted to make is that God wants us to celebrate with others. Again, we look at the life of Jesus, right? And he celebrated with others. He said, man, I'm going I'm to kind of kick off my ministry, and my first miracle is going to be at a wedding celebration. And, and, and we see this pattern of his life of, of, of socializing and connecting relationally with other people as he would go to dinner with them and, and, and just meet new people all the time and connect with people and have meaningful, uh, meaningful one-on-one encounters that we see uh, in Jesus' life. He wasn't just like this, well, he's the big guy and, you know, he's, he's kind of away and doesn't mingle with, with uh, common folk. No, we see a pattern of relationships and celebrating in his life. And uh, then uh, Nate preached last week, Pastor Nate, um, that it's God at work in you. When we sit, when we think, well, here's some things that God wants me to do in my life, sometimes that brings stress. You're like, well, I need to quit coming to church because every time I go, I learn stuff that I need to do more of and I don't need more. Right? <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's right. But here's the, here's the idea and concept is that actually, if you're a Christ follower, we're called to become more like Christ. Uh, we call that discipleship. We call that sanctification. Uh, fancy theological word. Uh, but that becoming more like Christ, the Bible is clear that that's not in our own effort and strength and power. It is actually God that does that in us. And we just allow him and give him permission and, and say, hey, 
go ahead, God, you do your work. We're going to depend on your motivation, your strength, your direction to do that, that he's the one who actually does that work in you. And this week, what we're going to look at is a huge question. I mean, it's, it's so big, I thought, well, this is kind of too general and too broad. And it is simple purpose. What is my purpose? And maybe that's like the biggest question. And here's how we ask it. What is my purpose? And, and first of all, so we're on the same page, we need to ask it a completely different way. We need to ask it in this way. What is purpose? What is purpose? I mean, someone, if you think, well, hey, what's my purpose in life? People are going to come to their own conclusions. And maybe they're going to embrace some view that's outside of what God desired and planned. They're going to fall into the temptation that, hey, my purpose in life is to die with the most toys, right? My purpose in life is to, you know, achieve this level of success or, or what, whatever it might be or, or, you know, visit every state or every vacation place I want to visit or whatever. I mean, you just come up with your own purpose. No, what is purpose? If we're created by God, here's a definition I think that's good of what purpose really is. The role in the story of God. It's not about our life. We are created by God. It's all about him. And it's, it's the role uh, in the story of God, which you were created, chosen, and uniquely wired. That, that you, God knows every hair on your head. He, he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. There's all these descriptions that God uh, loves you intimately. We're going to, in a little bit, look at a, a passage that, that points that out, I think, so beautifully. Um, but, but as we look at this, uh, this whole series, there's a couple passages that I want to look at uh, that, that look at the broad definition of our purpose. And this is something we've talked about quite a bit here at Lifestone Church. But, but here's the thing. It's kind of like, like a wedding where, where sometimes, I don't know if you've run into this, I've got two daughters. Uh, even when, when I first met Kristen, um, it, it was funny how much she had already planned her wedding, right? Um, and sometimes people, like, they, they put the cart before the horse, Right? And um, sometimes we, we miss the big picture and the big point, uh, the, uh, the main thing, by, by focusing in on something that's, that's secondary, all right? Some people focus more on their wedding than they do on their marriage, right? Some people focus on the wedding itself than they do the groom or the bride, like, hey, that'll, that'll happen, right? And we'll just put all our focus on that. And I think as we focus on the big picture of the specific things that God has called us to do as believers that are clearly, he says, here's my will for you, and this applies to us all, then we're going to be able to discover the very specific callings that God has for our lives. And what we're going to do this morning is look at a tool that I hope is helpful in helping you discern your very specific, unique calling for your life. All right, Romans 12, 2. Famous passage, one of the just standard, well-known passages about uh, discovering God's purpose, as this is the big question of life, right? Uh, and and it, it says this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. So I love that it starts out with that. I mean, we've already talked about that a little bit. 
That from, from the first point of going, God, I'm seeking out something better. I'm seeking out what you created me for. The first thing is to recognize the way the rest of the world does it without, without Jesus, without being directed by God, that's not the way God designed it. And you are going to be very frustrated in life if you are just simply copying the way the rest of the world. And, and how often do I look at my own life and go, man, my life lines up and looks a lot like the rest of the world. Um, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you. And what I love about that is what, what we talked about, what Pastor Nate talked about. It's not this effort-based thing of having this relationship with God through Christ, that now, through my own effort, I'm trying to become what God wants me to become. I, the, the language used there is going, okay, God has given us a choice. God is a gentleman. He does not cho- uh, force you to follow him, to choose him. But he gives you the ability to go, okay, I'm going to let God, is how this passage puts it, right? I'm going to let him do this work of transforming me. But let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Um, and, and, and that's interesting to me, that that is what this, what this emphasizes, like, you want to discover, because then it goes on to discover, this is how you discover God's purpose for your life, God's will. Is he, he changes the way you think, and this is how he changes your behavior, is what Scripture says. Is that, as a believer, you have made, been made 100% righteous and worthy, because you are given Jesus' worthiness credited to you. That is the Christian message. It's... It's incredible. It's amazing grace. That's what we, why we kind of use that and have a really cool song named that. Because that's what it is. It's amazing that God would do that. So that is how we stand before God. Um, but, and he does it all. Uh, but how do we change our actions in this life when we still have this sinful nature that's attached to our life? We're still in this broken, sinful world. So our legal standing before God is that, the righteousness of Christ, if we've accepted that free gift of righteousness that he offers. But, but how do we, okay, how do we begin to live what we are, what we've been made in Christ? And it's changing our thinking. A lot of people think, you know, you focus more on the behavior, and God's word says, no, you, God wants to change the way you think. Because how you think affects your behavior, have you ever seen these um, uh, crazy hypnotists? All right, I know no one here would ever go to Vegas and go to any shows, but when I go to Vegas and go to shows, like, <laughs> I go and check out the hypnotists. Like, it's so fat. I mean, I've seen it at, at you know, high school, graduation, uh, you know, things and all that. Or you just look on YouTube, don't do it right now. But... But what happens, and, and I'm skeptical, like I'm a born skeptic, so I'm like, I don't know, is this real? Did he pay off all these, all these people on stage? But you'll see a hypnotist, right? I can't even say the word, but he lines up a bunch of people on stage, and through whatever scary, I'm like, I would never volunteer to get on stage. I'm like, what kind of lifelong effect is this going to have on me or whatever? You know, and you, you watch Yes Man and all those things, right? So... 
So these, these people, though, the hypnotist has this ability, whatever that is, to change how people think. And he'll tell someone or she'll tell someone they're a chicken. And what do they start doing? They start, like, going on stage and, like, pretending to lay eggs and flapping wings. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's crazy, right? So what's happening there? I mean, I'm just trying to give us a picture. The, 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 somehow the person is thinking differently, and so they're behaving differently. You know, you're, you're exhausted and tired, and so they fall over and take a nap on the stage or whatever, right? And so that's what God says. How do we overcome addiction and sin and, and those kind of things. God says he wants us to think how he thinks about those issues. That, that we, we realize it's chocolate-covered poison, right? When we, when we go, okay, God calls this something that's going to devastate and destroy my life. And that's how I'm going to view it. I'm not going to view this thing that I want to do or this temptation as something that, ah, oh, I just have to not enjoy because I'm... I'm I claim to be a Christian, and I'm missing out on this wonderful thing. Um, that's wrong thinking. And then through your own effort, you try to go, ah, I just, I don't want to do that anymore. What God's word says is he wants you to think how he thinks and know that whatever he has called sin, although it may be alluring from the outside, you are that smart rat going, that's chocolate covered poison. I'm not going to ingest that. And if that's how you view that, as, as tasty as it looks, you, you think in your mind of how that affects your relationship with others, your relationship with God. I mean, just one small example of, of what this passage, I think, is clearly saying and how we become more like Jesus when, our, when we renew our minds to think more, like, more how God wants us to think. It all also has to do with, with how we view ourselves. And, and, and things like uh, self-esteem issues and, and value and worth. If we agree in our minds with what God says about you, God says you're incredibly valuable, that you're precious in his sight, that, that uh, you have this immense uh, value, and, and so that changes the way you view yourself, right? Uh, so this has so many implications, but this is uh, some, just the basis of God. Um, getting us into the purpose that he wants for our lives to change the way we think. Then it says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Uh, and I love the way this ends because I'm so guilty of this, okay? I'm a, I'm a church kid, grew up in church. Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Um, but for, for some bad reason, I thought if I really gave my life to Jesus, I would be miserable, right? Man, I would be missing out on what life really has to offer. Because if you're a Christian, you live this certain narrow path, which means it's, it's like you, you miss out on all this other incredible stuff in life. And I gave in to that lie. And so I love how he walks through, Paul walks through this as the Holy Spirit inspires him to give us this truth. And at the end, it says, hey, and by the way, following God's way is good. Don't, don't give in to the lie that it's, it's less than that. It's pleasing. When you follow God's will for your life, you are going to discover the best life you possibly can have. And it's perfect. We have a God that is in complete control. 
So he gives us that description of it. One other passage I want to share with you, and then I want to give you this hopefully practical tool that you can kind of take home and apply this to your life in some ways. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. just want to walk through this because it also ends by saying, here's God's will for you. Love this passage. This is a passage that really is foundational to the way uh, we try to guide our church and say here's an incredible uh, emphasized value that we have here at Lifestone Church. Is that, and this is saying, before this, it, this is referring to believers. This is brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's what God's will is. Always be joyful. Are you guys joyful? Because it's always time right now. <laughs> right now is an always time. And, and it says always be joyful. Isn't that frustrating at some level? <laughs> to go, what does that mean? How can you always be joyful when, when life throws all sorts of difficulty and pain and, and challenges our way? I mean, Jesus even promised us that in this life you will have trouble. But, he follows up with that, but, the, uh, his but is that he's overcome the world. In James 1-2, it says, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So what is happening here? How can we be joyful in all circumstances? First of all, we understand that this is a, a deep sense of, of knowing God's love, knowing the value he has for us, knowing his promises in our life, that no matter what happens to us, those things can never be taken away. Your... your uh, God says that when, when, when you come to him, put your trust and faith in Jesus, that, that there is nothing that can take you out of his hand, out of, out of his love for you. And that sense, knowing that whatever this world throws at us, that's one sense, that there is a deep-seated joy, even though we may be going through difficulty and pain. This isn't some call for us to be weird and crazy and, and act like nothing is is wrong or nothing is really, you know, troubling us when we go through difficulty and pain, but it's going in spite of that, whatever that might be, God's in control and his promises are true and, and there's nothing that can take the relationship I have with God through Christ away. And so whatever the world throws at me, like Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. There's nothing this world can throw at me that can take that away. The other thing that we realize is that God promises to use all circumstances in our life for good, for those who love him. And so that, you know, sometimes we don't understand what's happening, why you would have to go through some pain or heartache or misery. And we may not know this side of heaven, but we have a God who keeps his promises that we can trust. And his promise is that he will use it for his glory and for his good. And so, so that's another part of, of, of joy that we can have. And that's why in James it says it's an opportunity. Somehow God is not going to waste any pain that, that people go through who love him. Um, it goes on in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. And I love this call because, first of all, sometimes we, we make prayer real small. And we dilute it down to when we're in trouble, asking God for stuff or to get out of trouble. 
And, and, and there, that's, a very, that's a portion of prayer. But we're really missing out on a bigger portion of what prayer is. Here's what prayer is. Talking to God. Here's what the basis of any relationship is. Communication. And prayer is talking. It's communication with God. That's all it is. When I um, was in junior high, uh, one of my buddies, his mom taught our Sunday school class we were in. I feel bad for it. These punk junior high kids. I was a skater punk. He, we were just nothing wrong with skaters. I love them. I was one. But, but we kind of pressed into the punk side of it, you know, and we're like real rebellious and, you know, wanted to make any, especially any adult authorities in our life, teachers, people who would be brave enough to volunteer at church to work with us junior high kids, um, you know, we, we tried to make their lives miserable. Um, and we were pretty good at it. That's, that's sad. So, but I remember one thing she told us as she was trying to teach prayer to us. She said that she would often just take a banana and go and hide away, sometimes in a closet, and, and, and use it as a telephone <laughs> and talk to God that way. And you could imagine, we had a field day with that, right? <laughs> the crazy banana talking to God lady. And I look back at that, and I'm like, I, I see some wisdom in that. Because what she was doing was, was understanding that this continual prayer that we're, we're called to be in as believers is just like a conversation you would have with someone else that you loved. Um, and, and that's the picture that we get here. Never stop praying. I mean, some people, they, they get into this specific of going, that's not possible. How can you be sleeping and not praying? It's, it's basically saying this. Uh, like I would phrase this, I will never stop being a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. Yeah! Woo! Okay, I got, I got one person agreeing with me over here, I know. I'll never stop being a fan, right? Um, and so we, you're never to stop in your life. Not, don't take that so technically that you're like, how is that possible? And there is a sense of just continually being in this conversation in your mind and all uh, all walks of life with God. But, but at, at the heart of it when, it, when this ends saying this is God's will, it's God's will that you're in this close, intimate relationship with God. I loved it this morning before we, uh, before we got in here. The band gets up early. They come here and rehearse, and then we, we go through the service and we pray. And this morning, I, I was kind of struck by some of the stuff I've been looking at um, and it's really the, the, next, the next portion of this verse we're going to look at. Uh, but I said, hey, instead of praying, just asking for, like, what things from God, um, let's just pray prayers of thanksgiving this morning. And we prayed longer, and more people pray, prayed, and it just seemed to be um, more truly uh, connecting with God in prayer uh, this morning than, than we've had in a while. And, and I think that's part of it as we look at the next portion here. Be thankful. Never stop praying. And then right a after we're given this instruction to have this deep, meaningful connection with God, it should be based in thanksgiving. Like, how do you live the Christian life? Some people, they, they hear what Christianity is. 
that it's not this religion, as we try to point out in our big sign. It's not a religion. It's not a system that makes you right with God. If you do these ceremonies and follow these rules, then you're right with God. Nope. Jesus followed all the rules. He accomplished everything necessary to make us right with God. And, and, and that's a Christian message. So it's, so it's not this system. So that's so easy, and that's just easy grace. So you accept that, and then you go live however you want to. But the Bible's clear that if you've accepted that, God comes and dwells in you. The Holy Spirit starts working in your heart, working on your mind, and you change. And, and part of the response of understanding what Jesus has really done for you, if you truly understand it, you can't help, I think, but, but live out of thanksgiving. And there's no strings attached to living for God in that way. And that's the beauty of how God wants us to live. Not thinking, well, I'm going to try to follow his rules and, and, and I'm going to get to as close to sin as I possibly can without thinking I'm going over some line where I'm out of God's grace and I just want to do the bare minimum. There's no relationship in that. It's just religious exhaustion. I couldn't give a sermon series on not being stressed out if we were in a religion because that's the most stressful, exhausting way to live is in a religious system like that. But instead going, ah, fresh breath, Jesus did it all, and it's, I can't believe he would love me in that way. I just want to live my life out of thanksgiving. So be thankful in all circumstances. Now notice, and I know you probably heard me say this before if you've been with us and we've gone through anything like this, it doesn't say for all circumstances. We're not, again, some we're twisted way of thinking. Like, there's something, there's no way I'm going to be, thank you for this horrible thing happening to me or some, one of my loved ones. No. But you're thankful in all circumstances because, like we talked about earlier, no matter what's, what circumstance is happening, there's some foundational things that God, uh, that, that cannot be taken away from you. And then it goes on to say, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. My favorite passage to share with people when they ask me, hey, what's God's will? What's God's purpose for my life? And quite honestly, I give them these broader uh, understanding because I'm not the Holy Spirit. I know that's revelationary for some of you guys, that you need to jot that down. Pastor Ben is not the Holy Spirit. But, but I think it is the Holy Spirit that really guides you more specifically and what I want to do is try to give us a tool this morning um, as we get back to this concept, the, the role in the story of God's purpose, which you were created and chosen uniquely wired. And that's part of the beauty, I think, of what God does. Um, here's the passage I wanted to share with you in Psalms. It says this, and it's a pretty well-known passage. It's often used uh, to, to show the, the sanctity of life in the womb. Um, but, but it says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And so we get this description of, yes, this incredibly strong call to, to, 
have all life as, as, as sacred as possible. And, but this description at the end of that passage of uh, that, that individually God knows everything about you, how he's wired you. As we jump into the New Testament um, and look at the description of the church, what is the church? It's not a building. It's not an organization. It is all people who've put their trust and faith in Jesus. That is the church. Now, there's local expressions of that, and that's what, like, Lifestone Church is, just a local expression of the church family. And, and in that local expression, we see this beautiful description of, of incredible variety. God is a creative God. I mean, just look at his creation, right? And you look around, and you see deserts and mountains and oceans and forests and jungles and, and all sorts of things, right? He is incredibly creative. And, and he has this beautiful masterpiece of the church being woven together with people who have unique talents, unique skills, unique passions and desires. And, and he doesn't want you to be a cookie cutter of, of someone else. Uh, he's called you uniquely to glorify him and honor him in the diversity that he's created. So I don't want all you guys to be like me. Nobody wants you guys to be completely and all like me. Um, but what has God called you to do? So here's what I'm going to do in our just remaining few minutes we have, is give you a tool. Now, this isn't, uh, I hope there's no weird reactions to this. This isn't something that's kind of out of the Bible. This is just trying to say, practically, maybe this can help as you, as you reach out, pray to God, ask him to guide and direct you. But have you considered some of the ways that God has wired you and created you? So I have this fancy Venn diagram. Who loves these? Yes, I knew Allie would. <laughs> Look at these education people. Adam's like, I don't know. My wife says I do. Okay, you do. Adam, you love it. And love. So in your program, that's what you have. And I just hope maybe this is a tool. This may not be very effective for you or whatever, but I just hope, I really want you to not hear God's truth, walk out and go, that was nice. I wish Pastor Ben was funnier this morning. But you walk out and actually, you know, get, okay, how am I going to put meat on what God has called me to do? So here's, here's what I'm asking you to do is fill this out and go, love is the first thing we're going to ask ourselves. What do I love? What do I love? All right? Now, this, don't get all too, too uh, philosophical. What I'm asking and trying to make this very brief, and I don't have much room up here, is what do you love doing? What do you love doing? Like, I love skiing. I love art. I love traveling. I love experiencing different cultures. Uh, I love music. I, I, I love socially interacting. I love bringing people together. What do you love doing? Because we're all different, right? I could probably take 10 of you and get 12 different responses of what you love doing, all right? And even if you have room, you may start to brainstorm and think about these things. What do I love doing? The next thing is what am I good at? What am I good at? God gives us skills and talents, and, and don't minimize any of them. Some of them, sadly, uh, you know, in certain settings, you might be in a real academic setting, and they only value, you know, uh, intellectual academic pursuits or something, um, and they don't value... Uh, uh, the ability for um, emotional intelligence and stuff like that. So don't devalue any way that God has wired you. But what are you good at? Sometimes what you love and what you're good at kind of coincide, you know. 
Um, I love sports, and hey, I'm good at sports. Or I love sports, and I'm a good spectator of sports. You know, they may be different, <laughs> right? So what are you good at? The next thing is um, what breaks your heart about what people are going through? How do you want to help people? What has what God placed within your heart that just when you hear about, you know, the, the, the tragedy and the circumstances that people are going through, it may be, it might have to do with, with a group um, in a different part of the world. It may have to do with people who are going through a certain circumstance. It may have to be uh, at the root of it, as a Jesus follower, we should all be brokenhearted for anyone who doesn't know God's grace, that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. So at the heart of it, that's it. But more specifically, if there's certain things like, well, what breaks my heart is people who don't know the true Jesus in Utah, if I could talk about me. What God broke my heart for years ago was that, that there was a place that had a form of, of Jesus but didn't really know the real Jesus. And it just broke my heart. Um, I've got a little sister down in Guatemala, and, and, and she's brokenhearted um, over, over uh, the culture down there. And so at the root of it, I think that's got to be fundamental. But there may be, you know, I just have a heart for young people. I have a heart, and, and I want to see them. What, what breaks your heart? Uh, junior high punk skaters. We need people who love and are brokenhearted over where they are, all right? And then here's, here's a kind of a practical thing, and this doesn't apply to everyone necessarily, but what's your job? Or, or what will, here's a better way to put it, what will people actually pay you to do? How, how can you actually get paid and, and make a living and, and income? And, and sometimes people are called to, uh, raise their kids, and they've got a situation where God's blessed them, where, where their needs are taken care of through that, through, uh, through the whole family. Um, so, so, you know, don't, don't read too much in this. Again, this isn't scripture. It's trying to give you a practical tool that I hope is helpful. But what will actually people pay you for? Now, the next thing, so as you put these together, I think it kind of helps us understand and maybe gives us some guidance of what God wants us to, to do in a specific way. So what you are good at and what you love, when those things come together, that is what you're passionate about. That's your passion. You just, oh, you just really enjoy being a part of those things as those come together. That I'm good at it and I love doing it, man, I just have this incredible passion to do this. I love music. I'm good at performing music. And when, so when I can do both of those together, man, that's my passion. Um, the next thing is what you're good at and what people will actually pay you for. That can help guide us in, in if God leads you to, to have a job, to have a career. There you go. Hopefully that guides some of you. Some of you guys are going, oh, yeah. I, I don't like what I'm doing, <laughs> and I'm not good at it, but I do get paid for it. I don't think God necessarily wants you to do that. <laughs> and you'll probably be more successful at, in finding what, how God wants to use your talents and your gifts to actually you know, uh, apply to your uh, what you actually do as a vocation, as a job. Um, and then the next thing is love 
uh, what you love and your passion, man, that, that really helps mold our mission of what we're about. Man, I love those junior high skater punks. Um, and and I, see the, I, see what, I see that they really need God in their life. And, and man, that's my mission, to reach them, uh, to love them, to share Jesus with them. Um, and then the last one, what your job is and what you're passionate about, uh, if those things can come together, uh, that's where you can go, man, this is what I'm called to do. And when you walk through these things, may, maybe it can be a help to you as, as I'm trying to, as a pastor who just wants to give you First Thessalonians and Romans 2, 12, 2 and leave it there, I hope this gives you some more practical steps that the Holy Spirit can then speak into. Um, now, as you come as close to combining these as possible, I think you're going to find more or at least be aware of maybe some things that God has really specifically called you to do. But there's some things as we close this morning that I don't want you to fall into a trap of. First of all, this is just a tool that maybe can help you. Um, that, that As you look at some of these things, I, I think of Paul. Uh, Paul's vocation, he worked for L.L. Bean. He made tents. That's what he did. He, it didn't, it didn't co- uh, directly connect with his, um, with his uh, help, right? Um, but but that's, what, uh, that's what God directed him to do. And I'm sure as he discovered, because in 1 Corinthians 1.1, it says Paul was called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He had this clear calling and understood exactly what God had called him to do. If you see some other descriptions of his life, he's like, I'm called specifically uh, to the Gentiles, and, and, and that helped guide his life. But in the midst of that, some of the apostles, like Peter, the church in Jerusalem helped support uh, his family, and, and he was vocationally a minister in that sense, along with a lot of the other apostles. And Paul says, that's great, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for what he was called to do, as he was traveling around as a, as a missionary planting churches, he said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make tents, and, and that's going to be, I'm good at that. God gave me that skill, and that what God has called me. So some of those things, as you can see, they don't completely line up. Um, the other thing is sometimes, I think this happens to us as we're younger, we want to be in chapter 10, but God's got us in chapter 2. And we get really frustrated because we're like, well, I want to be in chapter 10. And what God's word says about that is be faithful with the little things. I know God has called me to do this. I want to do it right now. But there is probably, as we see so many people that God uses in his word, a process. And whatever you're going through, well, I'm working and I'm scrubbing toilets at, you know, some place that I work at. Is that what God's called me to do? Maybe. Um, and maybe uh, he's called you there for that season. And, and so don't dismiss the process that God is working you through. I, I, I love Churchill. I love history. Kristen makes fun of me. And now there's just access. I'm like, oh, World War II, you know, history and Civil War. And I'm always watching that stuff. Uh, but I lo- he, he came about in leadership. And he looked at the past of his life. And he said, I felt as if I were walking with destiny and that all my past life has been but a preparation for this hour and for this trial. And he's put, he's being inaugurated into office while the Germans are bombing um, uh, 
Britain. And, uh, and he just felt, he looked at his past. Most people that were in leadership before Churchill, I lost some of you guys, stick with me. He, uh, most people were kind of trying to appease and almost befriend Hitler. And he was unique as he was uh, in politics. And he stood up and said, absolutely not. And then it, it seemed as though he felt like God had a destiny to, to bring him up and everything in his life as he would go on to, to look at all the little jobs he had, all the little circumstances he went through, that God used them uh, for, for the place that he had him later uh, in that position. <laughs> 